David Finlinson for all of his organizing uh, and for getting everybody teed up. Uh, I am a, a lawyer at the law firm of Stuart McKelvey. Um, we are one of the largest law firms in Atlanta, Canada. Uh, we have six offices across the region, uh, three in New Brunswick, uh, one that I'm from in Charlottetown, one in Halifax, and one in St. John's. Uh, at the moment, we're just north of 200 lawyers across the region, so it might seem like a lot of lawyers in one place, but I can assure you we're, we're, we are uh, the need is there, and uh, we see the demand growing every day, particularly for our services in IP. Uh, we do a lot of work in mergers and acquisitions, particularly on PEI. Uh, we work closely with um, a number of the organizers of this conference. Um, on an institutional level, we work with uh, kind of the investors and the large um, not-for-profit and business development side of things that are looking to put money into these startup sectors. Uh, and then on the flip side, we act for a lot of businesses who are coming out with products in uh, emerging markets. Um, and the, the size of those transactions is getting larger and larger each year. It really kind of blows our mind, the scale uh, of these deals when they do go down. Not necessarily related to the IP in particular, but we, um, we acted on a deal in 2013. It was when Sobeys acquired Safeway out uh, in Alberta. That deal was worth $5.7 billion, and at that time it was the largest deal in Canada. So uh, we were at the forefront in acting for Sobeys on that acquisition. So there was certainly a large component of it that was IP. Uh, trade secrets, client lists, know-how, and those sort of things. So uh, we have lots of experience in navigating that. Uh, and uh, in Charlottetown itself, as I said, we work closely in the biosciences in particular, in the health sectors, particularly in Atlantic Canada. Um, so what we're going to cover today is basically a rundown of Legal 101, uh, what you should know whenever you're starting your business. So this is meant for people really getting their, getting their feet on the ground, people that might have a great idea that they're trying to protect, uh, that they're trying to capitalize upon, uh, and maybe if you're looking for investors, obviously this is a great place to go, but you should also consider how to make sure your idea remains your own so you can get the most out of it. So we're going to cover um, three broad sections here. It's going to be a Establishing your business, and that's, of course, will lead us to a conversation about incorporation and the, the values in setting up a corporate structure. Uh, second component is going to be protecting your ideas. Uh, and then thirdly, we're going to do a dealing with others agreements once you kind of set, step outside of your safe space and start meeting new people, particularly investors or um, banks or other people that want to um, capitalize on your product or um, give you money, which I'm sure no one in here would be opposed to. Uh, so... Uh, business pharmacists. So there's, there are different options for incorporating businesses. Um, we have the sole proprietorship. This is basically ground zero. Uh, then we have uh, a partnership, which is when two people kind of work together with a goal in common to reach an objective. Uh, then we have incorporations. And lastly, we're going to just cover briefly on amalgamations. So sole proprietorship. This is you in your basement coming up with a great idea 
Um, you own that. You are the creator. You are the author. It is you. Uh, if I develop an algorithm in my basement, it belongs to Margaret Ann Walsh. That's the starting point. Uh, it's very easy for Margaret Ann Walsh to come up with a great idea. Well, maybe not the idea part, but it's simple and expensive if I have something that I want to do just as Margaret Ann Walsh because uh, it's a default business structure from day one. The minute I carry, out, carry on this business and offer it to the world, it is me alone. Um, it's the simplest, it's the least inexpensive to carry on a business. Um, you can use, either use your own name, Margaret Ann Walsh offers services of selling my algorithm to ABC company and Margaret Ann Walsh is going to get a paycheck, or, or Margaret Ann Walsh can decide I'm going to be um, you know, the, the widget woman. I can go to the province and I can say I want to incorporate the business name widget woman, which is going to be owned by Margaret Ann Walsh. At the end of the day, they're both me. And the, the risk in this is that Margaret Ann Walsh, if she offers her, office, offers her services to the world, I'm going to take on the liabilities that are attached to those services. So if I don't pay a lease, if I default on a loan, if I do something wrong, that's going to be on Margaret Ann Walsh's head. And if someone comes after Margaret Ann Walsh, me sitting in my basement, and I am liable for something, that means they could also come after my house or my car or money in my bank account. So there's a lot of risk in me sitting in my basement, coming up with an idea, and then offering offering it to the world to do business. So uh, it's great if you just have a very simple business, you want your income from your business to, um, to be compiled with your other income from a job or a part-time job or another services business, it's all going to go to one pot. But as I said, there's a lot of risks uh, to the value in that one pot when you're putting it, everything in it all together. So uh, the next obvious uh, step would be partnership. So this is I team up with my neighbor, and we're both going to work on this algorithm together. So this is the default. If we do nothing else but decide we're going to work together with a, a goal in common of making money, then we are determined to be a partnership. So if we do nothing, there's legislation that governs the rights and obligations of us as a partnership. Uh, if we take the step and enter into a partnership agreement, that means that we have set our rights and obligations out, we've determined how we're going to split the profit at the end of the day, and, uh, and how our organization is going to work. Um, you are bound, there's a risk in this one too. If I go into business with my neighbor and my neighbor holds our, holds our business out and signs a contract that we can't honor, I am not 50% liable for that. I am 100% liable for that under the partnership. So there's a lot of risk in, in heading in that direction as well because it's fraught with risks, you know. Uh, things could go wrong at any sector, and at the end of the day, I'm 100% liable for the partnership risks. Similarly, the, if the partnership defaults, they can come after my house and my car, and my personal assets uh, remain at risk in a partnership agreement. Um, so it's, there, there is, like, like sole proprietorships, there is a lot of risk in proceeding as a partnership. So if anyone is interested in going in that route, make sure you have a solid partnership agreement in place whereby you're holding yourself out to the world as partners. You're each going to be responsible in the world of the eyes for 100% of the debts of the partnership. But you can paper it by a partnership agreement, which says that you know, if, if we go under, I'm not going under alone. You're obligated for 50%, but that has to be properly papered. Otherwise, you're, there's a real risk of proceeding without proper paper on what's your, the nature of your relationship. Uh, one other thing we, uh, we, you might sometimes hear is a joint venture. 
a joint venture is not really a partnership. A joint venture is more like um, two entities that it can be individuals or companies um, deciding that they're going to share certain revenues and share certain expenses, but they're not necessarily going to share profits. They're not, they're not working with a common goal of generating profits. They're saying, let's go on a deal together. You cover this. I'll cover that. We're each going to make money on our own, but we're going to share some of the costs and some of the benefits. So it's a separate entity um, that you might hear of. Another one you might hear of sometimes is a limited partnership. Um, that is, there's legislation in place across the provinces that allows uh, for a limited partnership to, to be created, whereby certain partners can limit their liability. So you see these a lot in professional corporations like um, law firms and dentists and so forth. So there's a, there are a real small subset uh, of businesses that have the ability to take, to take benefit of the limited partnership agreement. So you might hear that one as well. Incorporation. The beautiful creatures that are created by statues that take care of largely a lot of these risk problems. Um, so it is a separate legal entity altogether. The corporation can take on its own debts, it can take on its own contracts, it can take on its employees. The corporation can go under on any of these debts and your personal assets as a shareholder are largely protected. Um, a very common example that we see is kind of commercial leases. Businesses are getting off the ground, they're looking for startup space, they go there's, there's so much risk in getting a business off the ground. So we always advise our corporations, try if you can to sign the lease in, your own, in, in the name of your corporation, not related to you whatsoever. Because at the end of the day, if you can't make your lease payments and the corporation has nothing in it, then the corporation will default on the lease and there's no repercussion against the individual shareholder. So it's a beautiful thing. They're created daily and they die daily and they make the world of business go around, right? Um, another beautiful thing about corporations is flexibility. So you know how, probably know how shares work. They can be bought and sold. Ownership structures can change all the time. So uh, there's a real value um, in terms of the ease of use of these entities. And similarly, they live on in perpetuity, um, provided that you keep filing your returns. Uh, corporations will pass hands through generations and it'll be the same corporations and on the death of the shareholders, their interests can then be passed on to their children uh, or in accordance with their will. So this is the way corporations are, I, I like to look at them. It's kind of like a wedding cake. You have shareholders on the bottom, they are the owners. The shareholders elect the directors and the directors are responsible for the management and the decision making and largely what happens within that corporation, it's really up to them. And then the directors elect officers and the officers um, are the president, the vice president, the secretary, treasurer. So certain, um, certain responsibilities for signing corporate documents and meeting with banks are then designated to the officers of a, uh, of a corporation. I got to tell you, most of the times in PEI, you see one shareholder who has their own company and they are everything. They are, sharehold they are shareholder, they're director, and they're the officer. So when you get off the ground, that's probably what you're going to look like in terms of your corporate structure. Uh, but as I said, the beautiful thing about a corporation is you can issue new shares to partners. You can, your corporation can buy an interest in another corporation. There's a lot of different ways. It's very malleable. There's a lot of different ways that you can navigate it. Um, so shareholders. Uh, you have an idea, this is your, this idea is your baby, you're incorporating it, you want to have the voting shares. Voting is key because the, vote, the votes decide who are going to be the board of directors and the votes then decide uh, who are going to be the officers. If you want to bring on partners, you don't necessarily have to give them voting rights and I expect most um, 
many investors that would be around you know, this conference, they would uh, likely anticipate taking preferred shares. So preferred shares uh, are you have a share in a company, but it doesn't come with any voting rights. Oftentimes, it secures an investment. So I'm going to give you $10,000, and in exchange, you're going to give me 10,000 preferred shares. And you're going to pay me back for that $10,000 I put in over time by giving me 10% interest on that $10,000 I put in. And it's like, a, it's like a security in a company. Uh, you, as a developer, you don't want to give those voting rights. That's the key of control of your business. But you might be very comfortable giving preferred share to someone to say, this is our business relationship. I'm going to give you a stake. You're going to own part of my business, but you're not going to control it. Um, so, like I said, a corporation is a separate legal entity. Um, shareholders are generally not liable for the company's debts. Um, just a caveat here. If you are going down the road of incorporated company and you start negotiating with people, the one thing you want to avoid, uh, like the plague, is personal guarantees. That is the exception. Shareholders not liable for company debts unless they come to you and they say, all right, I'm going to give your company $50,000, but I want you individually to guarantee that. The minute you offer that guarantee, you're putting your house at risk and your car at risk and the money in your RSPs at risk. Like It goes all in. So to the largest extent that you can, try to avoid personal guarantees whenever you're dealing with your company. Okay. Um, options for incorporating. So companies are created by the different legislation of the provinces in the country of Canada. Um, federally is where I expect a lot of startups will likely want to go. Uh, in, the legislation is the Canadian Business Corporations Act. Um, it is uh, basically navigated uh, through Industry Canada. Uh, the benefit of incorporating a federal company is that you get your name, uh, name is protected across Canada. It's not a trademark, but your name to carry on your business would be protected for anybody else who wants to incorporate a federal company. Um, whereas, if you go with the provincial corporation, they're easy to navigate, you can go down to the province, you can talk to a local lawyer. Um, they're much simpler in terms of um, setting them up, dealing with the province and the requirements uh, for filing and reporting. But if you incorporate a provincial company, your name is only protected in the province in which you incorporate. So I have uh, Margaret Widgets Co. Uh, if I incorporate it in PEI, no other company in PEI can have Margaret Widget. I should actually Widget Co. No one, no one else in PEI can have Widget Co. Um, but someone could incorporate a company in Nova Scotia called Widget Co. And then a company in New Brunswick called Widget Co. Because they operate kind of like silos. Whereas if I have my federal company, I, oper I incorporate Widget Co. across Canada. No one else can incorporate another uh, Canadian company under Widget Co. because I own that name. And the Industry Canada will not permit anyone else because it would be confusing and it would be a loss of value to my, bus to my business name. So um, that's the key difference. Uh, um, so there's a couple people in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and PEI. The process is largely the same in each of the provinces. You file um, an application for incorporation. Um, you file notice of registered officer, uh, a notice of registered office, and a notice of who the directors of the company are. Um, PEI currently is the only province that discloses shareholders. So you might have done this before. You're wondering who owns a company. You can go onto the business registry of the province. You can put the company's name in, and the ownership comes up there. So it's a real goldmine of information, really, for someone like me trying to figure out how the companies work, how they are related. Uh, but uh, in all other provinces, and soon to be in PEI, um, you'll not have that uh, ability any longer. Um, and we'll get into that in just a second. 
so New Brunswick, uh, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia is a little bit different, but kind of the same principles applies. Their incorporation process is based on contract uh, and has a little bit more flexibility. Um, in PEI, as I said, currently we, op we operate under what's called the letters patent system. So the, the key is you ask the province if they'll give you a company, but they could decide not to if they, if they so choose to. I mean, it happens very regularly, but it's very discretionary that the province can say yes or no. They have to give you permission. Uh, that's about to change. Uh, there's been a new act passed called the um, Business Corporations Act of PEI, and this is modernizing incorporations of PEI um, across the board. Largely, things have been the same. It's been the same process in PEI to incorporate companies since like, the 1800s, so we're long overdue for a change, but sometimes change takes a while to come to PEI, as some of you may have experienced. Um, so now the process, well, as the legislation has passed, third, the bill has passed third reading, so the, the, the government will likely sit either this fall or in the spring and they'll proclaim this act to be in effect. Uh, so it then will largely be like the other jurisdictions and filing an application for an orphan corporation, a form listing the corporate directors and the location of the registered corporate office. Uh, there is one thing to know that if you are going to, if you're in PEI and you decide for some reason to incorporate a company in New Brunswick and you don't live in New Brunswick, you're going to need an agent in New Brunswick uh, to uh, report to the New Brunswick government. Similarly, in Nova Scotia, and it'll be the same in PEI. If you're not from here and you want to incorporate a company here, you'll need a lawyer or an agent on the ground uh, as your registered office. Uh, one other thing, share capital. So we talked a little bit about preferred shares and about common shares. Uh, right now in PEI, we can, I can incorporate a company today and I can say we're going to have five classes of common shares, we're going to have five classes of preferred shares, and that's all you need to know at the time. Um, and then we can, down the road, once I decide to issue shares to you, I can say, okay, you get voting rights, you get uh, redemption rights, that means that you can have the company buy your, comp buy your shares back, um, you have a priority in liquidation, like we can determine what the arrangement will be, or I could sell you shares, preferred, share, preferred shares down the road, and I could say, all right, I'm going to give you 10% on those shares, I'm going to pay them over five years, we can decide that later, that's how it currently exists in PEI. That will change with the new legislation, and the new legislation will kind of put us in line with the rest of the provinces where all those rights and obligations have to be decided up front. So it's going to get a little bit more expensive, and it's going to, you're going to have to put a little more thought into it, the time of incorporation of, okay, what do I want to have? I'm going to create five different classes, but I'm going to give some voting, I'm going to give some non-voting, I'm going to give some a right to dividend. You know, you, you have to kind of think about it a little bit more, whereas now we can kick that can down the road and decide once we want to issue shares how we want to do it. So there's going to be a little more planning that's going to be required um, pretty soon in PEI, which will kind of be, be the same, bring us up to speed with the rest of, of uh, the country. Okay, so I said this big change is coming. All right, so you have a PEI company right now. I don't know, there must be four or 5,000 PEI companies that will be currently um, in existence under corporations uh, PEI. So those uh, 5,000 companies and your two particular companies, uh, you're going to need to take steps to make sure that you're continued under the new legislation. So you have three years from the date that the legislation is proclaimed. Uh, you have to do the following. You have to have a meeting of your shareholders and you have to adopt articles of the continuance to continue um, your company under the new act. Uh, and then you have to authorize your directors to apply for a certificate of continuance. So you have to have a meeting, file these two documents, it goes to the province, and they will issue you a certificate of continuance, okay? So it's, it's largely a paperwork process, but 
if you do not do this, then your existing company um, will be dissolved by the province after three years. So uh, we are working right now to devise a game plan for our clients that we act for to make sure no one slips between the cracks. So um, just you two can think about that. <laughs> um, and uh, I, won't, I won't dwell on it too much, but the problems with the old act uh, were that if there's a breakdown of relationships between the shareholders, there's no real remedy to fix that. Uh, and I have a number of clients that I act for that that exact thing has happened. They have a company, the shareholders don't talk anymore, no one can get anything done, you know, he put money in and she didn't do anything and all these different um, issues that can arise. Right now they are stuck, they are deadlocked because the only option is for them to go to the court and apply for what's called equitable relief and that means they go and they say, look, you had an obligation to me as a shareholder to do something. You didn't do that. Please, uh, please, court, I throw you, I, I throw you, I throw myself at your feet. Please give me a solution here. But no one does that because it's going to cost about five or $10,000 to get that done. Um, so what, what the new act uh, does, in the legislation, it gives shareholders certain remedies. And these remedies are an oppression remedy. And the oppression remedy says uh, it would address that scenario I just said where the majority shareholders have, um, act, have treated the minority shareholders unfairly. Uh, the second one is a derivative action. If the minority shareholders feel like uh, a wrong has been committed against the corporation, they can step in on behalf of the corporation and try to fix the wrong. And then the right to dissent to fundamental changes. So this is a really key one for minority shareholders uh, in that if, you, if, your if the majority shareholders decide they're going to make a substantial change, they're going to buy another company, they're going to water down your shareholdings, they're going to totally change the nature of the business, you can object uh, and they are required to pay, pay you the fair market value of your shares. So this is a really great way out whenever the relationship does break down. Okay, so uh, deciding where to incorporate. Uh, we kind of covered the name considerations already. Um, the second one that we didn't talk about is residency requirements. So uh, the CBCA in Newfoundland, they require at least 25% of the directors of a company to be Canadian residents. Uh, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and PEI, we don't have this similar requirement. So that means that we can have uh, directors of companies, uh, we can have entire companies that have their entire ownership structure outside of Canada. So oftentimes in PEI, we act for um, international companies who come in and they want to have a Canadian subsidiary. So that's, um, uh, they incorporate a company in PEI. It's owned by ABC International and they have ABC Canada Inc. And it's incorporated in PEI and it allows them to get into uh, the Canadian market to have a resident company here. So there's certainly a lot of benefit and we actually see that a lot in the biosciences sector. Um, companies that want to come in and do that. Uh, amalgamation, we kind of briefly um, talked about this on, uh, with your issue. Um, this is, gets to continuances, so two companies can amalgamate and become one. They have to be in the same jurisdiction, so you they have to be both federal or both PEI companies. If they're separate, then you have to continue one um, in that jurisdiction just like you might do with your Nova Scotia company, in which case once they're in the same jurisdiction, then two companies can amalgamate and carry on business. They become a new company. The catch here is once you're getting into amalgamations and business relationship and merging things, you don't just shake off all the old uh, obligations of the pre-amalgamated companies. Those stick with you. So when we act for companies, let's say I'm acting for someone buying a company, I'm not just looking at that company's name, I'm looking at all of its predecessors, uh, if it had been previously amalgamated, it had, if it had acquired companies, I look at all of those because all of that attaches to amal amalgamated companies as they grow and evolve. So there's a lot of vetting that you have to do once you're getting to um, kind of the same company in a different form. Um, 
it creates, when two companies uh, amalgamate, there's a new legal entity created, it has a new tax number, uh, and it, there's a deemed year end. So uh, you'll have to settle up with CRA for, in terms of the um, tax liabilities for the pre-existing clients or the pre-existing companies. Uh, extra permission registration, we already addressed this, um, carrying on business, so you've, you've presented for me on this slide. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so that, is a, the, that, that knocks off our first of three sections. The second one is protecting your ideas. Uh, so you've got a great idea. Now what do you do with it? Uh, we're going to cover non-disclosure agreements, letters of intent, intellectual property, and employment agreements. So non-disclosure. This just says you won't re reveal anything about our non-disclosure agreement. This is not good enough. Promising not to reveal the fact that there is agreement is not going to do anything to protect your confidential information. The key is you have to flesh out the definition of what is confidential information when you get to a non-disclosure agreement. Non-disclosure agreement should provide a real meaningful way to share information, but ensuring that, you, that the information of the dis disclosing party is protected and that there's recourse if anybody breaks it. Uh, Non-disclosure agreement. So, Someone comes to you who's got a great idea. The first thing that should come to your mind is a non-disclosure agreement. These are used all the time before you give up any information. Talk to the lawyer. See what you can find out. Talk to a friend. What can you get your hands on that's going to protect your ideas? Uh, so they are um, provided by one party to another. What they do is they set out the recipient's obligations. Uh, in terms of the confidential information, and they restrict the recipient from being able to use or disclose that information. So, as I said, this is a really an inclination of good faith. Uh, they're very often used, but uh, unfortunately, oftentimes there's little thought that goes into them on the front hand. Okay, so here's what you need to consider. Who is going to be signing the agreement? Uh, it should be all parties are going to be at the table should be signing the non-disclosure agreement. Um, purchaser, vendor, shareholder, and then related parties. This is a tricky thing because it can turn into a bit of a slippery slope. You have a, uh, an algorithm for, uh, you have an algorithm to develop some sort of software and you have a whole bunch of client lists and you'll have a whole bunch of um, uh, marketing and advertising information. You have this great package of information. Um, you're going to, if you're going to invest, I'm going to give you this information, but you're going to promise that you're only going to use it for the purposes of our transaction. And you're going to promise me that you're going to make sure your bankers, you're going to make sure your lawyers, your accountants, everyone is going to have to sign on and to agree to abide by the terms of this non-disclosure agreement. You don't want this information getting out there. Oftentimes, it's delivered in physical hard copy. You, there are limits on reproducing or circulating. Um, so that should all be flushed out. Um, there should be, okay, that was the who, the when, um, all types of uh, relationships, investors, partners, all, I mean, we use these all the time in mergers and acquisitions where people are starting to kind of flesh out what will be the nature of their business relationship. Um, licensing and employees, we're going to get to this in a second, but it's also key for employees to sign non-disclosure agreements. Um, where, um, if you are in PEI and have your PEI company and you're considering an investor from Delaware or Toronto or somewhere, you want to make sure that your non-disclosure agreement is to be enforced in PEI because you don't want to go to Delaware. You don't want to go to Toronto and enforce this. So if you're drafting it for yourself, um, try to get it in your own jurisdiction to protect your ideas and ease, ease of enforcement whenever, the, if, if there is a breach and if you do have to enforce it down the road. Um, how? So these can either be by a, a, like a letter where it's set out in a letter form and someone signs at the bottom to agree, or it could be a very formal contract between the parties. Uh, and it can also be a one-way. So um, 
you're going to mess with my company. I'm going to give you information I want you to promise. Or we can promise we're going to do something together and I'm going to give you information and you're going to give me information. We're both going to promise to keep that information, um, uh, not disclose it, and to use it only for the purposes of our, uh, that we have defined as allowable use. The definition of confidential information is the key in this, okay? Uh, it, in my example, it's algorithm IP, everything. It's this package of information. So that is defined as confidential information. There's also what is not confidential information. And information can't be confidential if it's already been disclosed to a third party. So if you're out running the hallways here, giving up your great ideas and you're telling people, you can't later retransform that into confidential information because it's already out in the world. If you've shared your algorithm, if you've told them what your trade secret is, you can't undo that. So I would just advise talking general strokes about the product that you're developing and what you're offering, but don't get into the specifics of how it works. So things that might already be in the public domain, people that, you know, they might think that it can be done but not necessarily know how, you really have to guard against disclosing your ideas to people without having security for that idea because, I mean, you guys are in the business, you know, how quickly information spreads and takes off and how much you stand to lose um, if you have loose lips. Um, so confidential, when you get into this NDA, I would say you... You're out here, you, you have a relationship, you, you make a contact, you start talking. I'd say almost a, your first sit-down meeting, I would flush it out and have them sign a non-disclosure agreement because you can't undo it after it's already been done. So, and it, they're very, professionals would expect them, people with experience would probably respect you and say, look, this is, you, you're doing the right thing here and getting me to pony up and to sign this, so. Um, so once we get into drafting it, we're going to define what is the confidential information, and you're going to flush out everything. Everything you can get in that definition uh, as a startup, you want in that definition. Uh, information is not considered uh, public, not just not considered confidential information if it's generally already available to the public. Like I said, if it's already been um, disclosed, um, and also if there's uh, if it was already known to the receiving party prior to disclosure. Uh, try not to use uh, any personal information. Don't provide patient list, uh, client list, or so forth. Uh, letters of intent. Here you have, uh, I admire uh, Nesby because his agendas are never hidden. Letters of intent. Once you enter into a relationship, flush out everything. Get as much as, get as, much as you can into the document that's going to define uh, what your business relationship is going to be. Um, they should include purpose and effect, benefits, considerations. Uh, binding terms, confidentiality, and exclusivity. I just want to say letter of intent. Uh, it's meant to be non-binding, but you could get into a situation where if you have everything clearly defined, then you could be stuck with that letter of intent. So be very cautious when you're, when you're putting things to paper to say this is a non-exclusive, non-binding, this is just meant to set out our relationship until we get to the point that we're going to enter into a formal business relationship. Uh, enforceability, um, I kind of already kind of spoke to this, but uh, if these key terms are in, in your letter of intent, you can be stuck with them. If you say you're going to sell your idea for $10,000, you can't change your mind down the road if someone has decided it's enforceable. Um, intellectual property. Uh, IP is often the most valuable asset. Um, we, we know, you, we kind of spoke about it, trademarks, uh, copyright patents, and trade secrets. Short on time, so I'm going to speak to ownership because um, this is important. Uh, you're in your basement. You have this great idea. You, I was in my basement with Margaret Ann Widget Co. Margaret Ann owns that idea. If I'm going to incorporate a company, it is key that Margaret Ann transfers that IP to the company, and then it becomes owned by the company, because you can see how 
Marina has a great idea, I have a company, I take on investors, but then for some reason I have a falling out with my shareholders, I don't elect the investor. If I haven't taken the act of transferring that IP to the company, there is a risk that the most valuable asset in that company is not actually owned by the company, it's owned by Margaret Ann, and I skip, I skip town, I start another company with my IP. So there, there is a, a positive step that has to be taken to transfer the IP from an individual to a corporation. Uh, and then registration, we just went through those, tra we have trademarks, copyrights, uh, and patents, those are all registrable. Um, I encourage you to speak to um, a lawyer to, to explore how you're able to do that. Don't wait, don't delay, look at the trademark database beforehand when you're setting up your company or you're going to invest anything in, in a name or in a trademark, uh, make sure it's not already out there. Okay, tips and tricks. Uh, beware of disclosing your ideas in public. Uh, just like conferences like this one, like we spoke about. Um, disclosure is tempting, but uh, make sure you limit yourself as much as possible. Uh, restrict IP and removal from your premises. Um, use passcodes and security if it's a, program, a computer program. Don't let it just anyone in there and keep good records because timing is really is everything. Uh, employment agreements. Um, use employment agreements to include non-disclosure requirements. Um, you, it's the first to file. So in Canada, it's a filing requirement. So uh, you have to put your package together and you send it to the patent office. Uh, if you are the first to file and there's, there's not something already similar, uh, then you are entitled to the protection of that idea for a certain period of time. If they rely on the underlying product, then no one is allowed to reproduce that underlying product. If it's an add-on, it, and you own what it's based on, then no one else can make add-ons based on what you own at the center. No one can use your core or any part of your core, you own that. And then as you add, add new pieces to it, you can update new patents to it, but it's the core that's protected by a patent. Employment agreements, uh, make sure your employees sign them, uh, make sure that you enforce them that they know about them. Pretty well, too. Shareholders agreements and finance agreements. Shareholders, sign one. Get one. Do it the time that you incorporate your company because when relationship, when the going is good, make sure you have all the nature of your relationship down on paper. Don't wait till you start fighting to try to figure out what the exit strategy is going to be. And financing agreements. Similarly, dealing with banks, um, vet their papers. They're going to want guarantees, those personal guarantees I warned you about. Try to avoid those as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we work closely with a lot of startups. Uh, we keep our fees very low, low in terms of corporations and doing a preliminary set of documents. Uh, we incorporate companies for about 750 bucks. Um, that's legal fees, and then you get uh, registration fees, so all in it comes to 1200 But then after that, we have packages of documents that we offer, that, that we offer employee contracts, non-disclosures, letters of intent, that we package up and give to clients, uh, kind of a bulk sum. We give them to you so that you can then reproduce them. You don't have to come back to us each time that you are, have a new employee or have a new relationship you're trying to, to get to paper. So uh, we package them. Um, we, we start with the incorporation, and then we offer a suite of documents. So. And, and, and read your employment agreement. If you don't have one, then have at it. <laughs> All right, I think I am officially getting evicted, so thank you guys very much.